Most of you know, last week we uh, wrapped up our our series through the Gospel of Mark. It only took us eight months, um, so we rocketed through. Uh, and this week, we're going to make a little bit of a transition in the type of message that um, going to give. Uh, normally, what we get, we don't get quite a microscope, but we get more of a uh, more of a focused in look at the at this at a particular passage in in the scriptures, and we look at a lot of the details that are there and the implications for us. This morning, what I'm going to do is take more of a wide angle kind of uh, shot uh, to address a particular topic, and we're actually going to do that um, when we get to our marriage series in a couple of weeks, uh, also. You know, that requires more of a wide-angle perspective on the Scriptures than necessarily looking at an individual text, although we'll do that some too. Um, this is going to be my last message for uh, a couple of weeks because next week we're going to have a special guest with us. We're going to have my, my friend uh, Igor Swiderski uh, here from Chosen People Ministries who's going to talk to us about the fall feasts of Israel and the implications that that has in terms of the prophetic word that's given about uh, the end of history. And um, uh, I think that you'll find that fascinating and very interesting because all of the spring feasts of Israel, uh, Passover, First Fruits, Pentecost, all had a very significant event in redemptive history connected to them. The death of Christ happens on Passover. He rises from the dead at the beginning of the Feast of First Fruits, and the Holy Spirit comes at Pentecost. Uh, the next one, I believe, is the Feast of Trumpets. Um, and, of course, the, um, in, the, in God's Jewish calendar that he gave. Um, of course, Paul says that redemption will come at the last trumpet, which is at least interesting. So I- Igor is going to... Um, going to be here next week, and then Pastor Jim will talk talk with us the following week um, about another issue, and then uh, we'll start into marriage, and we'll spend several weeks doing that, and that'll be a lot of fun. I think those of you who are married, and even those of you who are either about to be married or are still single will benefit from that. I'll have a whole message just on biblical singleness that I'm going to give. Um, it'll be just for you, and you'll, uh, you'll benefit from it, okay? Um, but uh, here this morning, what we're going to do is talk about how do I find God's will? That's one of the most frequent questions I get asked as a pastor. How do I find God's will? How do I find God's will in this situation or this one or that one? How do I find God's will? And I'm going to start with the assumption that because God has gone to enormous effort to make himself known to us, that one of the things he wants us to know about him is how to find his will, that he is not like the rabbit in Alice in Wonderland that we are somehow always chasing but never quite catch, right? God wants us to know him and to know his will. And so how do, but how do we know it? Well, If you look at the scriptures, like I say, from a kind of a wide-angle perspective, you see that God's will is described in the scriptures in three ways, and we're going to look at all of them here this morning. His, first of all, his decreed will, then his desired will, and these are my labels, these aren't biblical labels necessarily, but these are labels I'm putting to it, and then his directive will, okay? Okay. 
Uh, so we want to look at his decreed will first. His decreed will is the term we can use. And that, by the way, I'm just going to tell you right up front, um, you know, we're supposed to love the Lord our God with all our heart and soul and mind and strength. This is very much a love the Lord your God with all your mind kind of a sermon. So just be prepared for that. There's going to be a lot of content that's going to go by fairly fast. Uh, and it is presented in a, in a fairly wide-angle, biblical, theological uh, manner, okay? But uh, it's nevertheless important that we understand these concepts, and sometimes we get more of a, a heart-motivated sermon, and that's okay, and I love to give those, but this is more of a mind-focused sermon, okay? So if you love the Lord your God with all your mind real easily, you, you ought to like this, all right? Um, if not, it's only one, one week, so you'll endure. All right. Um, God's decreed will is the term we can use for uh, the fact that the Scripture speaks of God's um, making announcements about what will happen and that these things are and do come to pass. Okay? Uh, it's the term for God's eternal plan and His sovereign purposes. Whether... Whether you know it or not, God is completely, totally, completely sovereign. I heard one theologian say it this way, there is not one maverick molecule in all the universe. Everything is subject to God's control. That does not, that's not the same thing as saying that God controls everything and makes everything happen, but everything is Everything that occurs is happens under his rule and under his sovereign control. Okay? Um, God is the creator and the king of kings, and all beings and things in the universe must obey him. Isaiah says it this way. Uh, this is uh, chapter 46, verses 9 and 10. Remember the former things, those of long ago. I am God, and there is no other. I am God, and there is no one like me. I make known the end from the beginning, from ancient times, what is still to come. I say, my purpose will stand, and I will do what I please. In other words, if God announces that a particular thing is going to happen, guess what? It does not matter whether I think that's a good idea or not, whether I would like that to occur or not, whether I think that it should happen or not, it's going to happen. Why? Because God is God, and He is sovereign, and what He has decreed will come to pass. Uh, God has a plan and a purpose for all of human history, for all of creation, and it is going to be fulfilled. Let me give you some examples from the Scriptures, and we'll start at the very beginning. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, right? One of the most, uh, Francis Schaeffer said that was the most important verse in all of Scripture, Genesis 1.1. There is a God, He is distinct from the creation, and He is the one who created it all, okay? Everything else follows from that. God created the, the heavens and the earth, and how did He do that? Remember? And the Lord said, let there be, and there was. Now, how did that happen? Well, apparently God spoke and things appeared. So God said, let there be light, and there was light. God said, let there be, 
an expanse between the water on the earth and the water in the air. And he called the expanse sky. And there was sky. And God said, let land appear. And land appeared. And God said, let the land be filled with, uh, with animals and plants. And they were. And God said, let, the fish, let, the, let all the water be filled with fish. And there are billions of fish of all kinds of different varieties. There are more kinds of birds than you can identify. More kinds of trees than you can pick out the leaves on, right? Um, and then he said, and, and, and all these things happen according to God's word and according to his decree. He speaks and they occur. He speaks things into existence. Um, and then he says about human beings, he says, let us, and this is a little bit different language, let us make, not just let there be, but, but there's a crafting of humanity, both male and female. Let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule. So he's got a making and then a purpose for which that creation is brought into existence. Let us make man in our image, in our likeness. Let them rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. And so the purpose of human beings was to be the stewards and rulers of the planet under God's sovereign control. And to reflect the image of God as they're related to one another. Now, that's a topic we'll pick up when we get into marriage. And what does that mean? But God had a purpose and a plan, and his purpose and plan was fulfilled. Let me give you a couple other examples about God's eternal decree being fulfilled. Uh, And a lot of these have to do with our salvation. Because, of course, while the creation was created perfect, and we as human beings within that creation were created perfect, shortly after the creation happened, we've got a fall, right? And so there needs to be redemption. So in Isaiah 53.10, we read that it was God's will that the Messiah suffer. Because the Lord had made his life a guilt offering to cover over my guilt and your guilt. God's will that this happened. Uh, And Peter picks up the same idea in his great Pentecost sermon, Acts 2.23. He says this, this man, meaning Jesus, was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to a cross. In other words, Jesus' crucifixion was not an accident. God didn't sit up there in heaven, and when the, when the mob comes to take Jesus away, and they, uh, within 24 hours, Jesus is hanging on a cross, suffocating and bleeding. God didn't go, oh! I didn't know that was going to happen. That wasn't part of the plan. I guess we have to retool. No, this was part of God's set purpose and plan. In fact, Revelation 13.8 refers, John talks about Jesus as the lamb who was slain from the foundation of the world. 
Before there was a creation, in other words, God knew that human beings were going to sin and mess it up and need redeemed, and that was going to entail sending the Son. And so it was always part of God's plan that Jesus be crucified and human beings be redeemed through his blood. Before the world was created, God had a purpose and a plan for it. And he had a purpose and a plan not only for you and I, but for the redemption of you and I when we needed it. And God has also planned, so he's planned from the beginning. He planned the middle where we're in sin and need redeemed. He planned also the end. Uh, in Second Peter chapter 3, verse 10, it says this, But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire. And the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. In other words, this earth, this planet, whether global warming is real or not, global warming is going to get really warm at some point because the earth will melt along with all of the elements. At the word of God, the, heaven and the, the heavens and the earth will be destroyed. Why? Because it is in this earth and in these heavens that evil has been allowed to persist, and God is going to one day wipe it all out and recreate it. In that same passage, verse 13, Peter says this, But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth, the home of righteousness. This earth and this heavens has been subjected to frustration, according to Paul in Romans 8, so that we can continue to live as sinful people in the world that God made perfect. But eventually, even the earth and heavens, which allowed wicked angels and wicked people to do their evil, is going to be destroyed and recreated, and we will dwell there. There will be an end to all of the suffering and death and evil that has taken place in human history. And all of it will be wiped away and reborn. And we will have new natures in which to enjoy the new heaven and the new earth. Right? Um, how do we know this is going to happen? Because everything that God says is going to happen, happens. <laughs> all right? He has made a promise and he keeps his word. This is his decreed will. This is going to occur. Now, the Scripture also talks about uh, God's will in the sense of God's, what I would call, His desired will. In other words, it's His desire that certain things happen with us, that we do them. Um, for example, First uh, Timothy chapter 2, verse 4, God wants all men to be saved, and to come to a knowledge of the truth. That's all humanity. He wants all humanity to repent of their sin and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Yet, not all people are saved, are they? No. God's directive, I mean, his desired will can be either obeyed or disobeyed. His decreed will is unalterable. But his desired will can be either obeyed or rebelled against. You can either become a Christian in accordance with God's desire, or you can reject Jesus and spend eternity in hell. 
But God's desire is that all men would be saved, right? Um, And when it comes to the Christian life in particular, and not just human life in general, God has got just volumes of stuff to say to us about what He wants us to do, right? Uh, For example, uh, let let me just give you just a few examples, because this entire book is full of statements like this. Do this. Do not do this, right? I mean, on every page, you get comments from God. I want you to do this. If you do this, it will honor me. If you do that, it will be sin. God has a desired will that we honor him. I'll give you a few examples. Exodus chapter 20, that's the Ten Commandments. He says, do not worship other gods. Worship only me. Do not misuse the Lord's name. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not lie. Do not covet. All of these things are part of God's desired will. Can we do Can we supersede or override or rebel against those things? Yes. Do we sometimes do that? Yes. But God's desire is that we would obey and be in fellowship with him. Let me give you some other ones that apply on a more individual level. You as a Christian, the basis of your relationship with God are two things, reading and applying your Bible because it's through the Bible that God talks to you, and praying to God by which you talk to Him. Okay, And your relationship, because it is a relationship, has to include both, right? First uh, Peter chapter 2, verse 1 to 2, like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. In other words, Peter's saying, you've got to take this in. Part of God's desired will for you is that you read and understand and put his word into practice. The purpose of Bible study is not to be a smarter sinner who has a lot of biblical content. The purpose of Bible study is life transformation. That you not be the same sinful slug that you always were but that your life be changed as you obey God's desired will. Amen? Um, and Peter also, I mean, Paul says this, 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 to 18. These are some of the shortest verses in the Bible. Ready? I'll give you two of them. Be joyful always. Pray continually. Anybody memorize those? I mean, I can get that. I get four words, <laughs> Right? Um, and then here's the last one. Give thanks in all circumstances for this is, you ready? God's will concerning you. I want to know what God's will is, pastor. You ready? Be joyful always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances for this is God's will concerning you. Here you go. (laughs) Okay. Um, uh, you need to study your Bible. You need to pray. You need to be joyful. You need to give thanks for the circumstances in which God puts you because these things are God's will. This is part of his desired will for you. 
Uh, and of course, Christianity is not a solitary belief system either, is it? Let me give you some other commands that relate to us, not just as individuals, but as a community. According to the book of Hebrews, the idea of a Christian who does not go to church is like a uh, frog who lives outside of water. Yeah, it can happen, but it's severely abnormal. Okay? Uh, And church does not mean two guys who happen to be Christians who get together and have coffee. I know that's an idea that's current in our day, but that's not all that church means, right? Church is the place where God's word is preached, where the uh, ordinances are practiced, where church discipline is carried out as necessary, either in a formative way or in a corrective way. Uh, It's the place where you exercise your spiritual gifts, right? Uh, Hebrews uh, 10.25, let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day of the Lord coming. To be a Christian means to be in community. Um, and, of course, the Apostle Peter also writes this, and this is First uh, Peter 4, 8 to 10. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling, and each one should use whatever gift he has received, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. In other words, we're to love one another deeply, to be in community together, uh, and let love smooth over the difficulties that we inevitably encounter with one another. Uh, to be in a relationship with another being is to automatically experience and expect to have conflict, right? But if you love one another, you forgive each other, and you let love cover over all the difficulties, right? Because we're family. Uh, We're to demonstrate love by opening our homes to each other. Opening our lives to each other. We're to use our spiritual gifts to serve one another. These are all things that you can put under the big category of God's will for me. Um, 2 Corinthians 9-7. Each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. An aspect of being in the community is supporting the ministry of the community, not just with your time and not just with your gifts, but also with your money. We are very blessed in this church. We really are. I don't know, I don't know how many of the rest of you follow the finance reports at the end of the bulletin, but we're actually in the black again this year, okay? Fantastic. All of our ministry needs are being paid for at the moment. Don't stop giving. We need that to continue, right? It was we want to do ministry, and we want to reach people, and we want to build people up in their faith and to win them to Christ, we need funding for that, right? And, and God specifically says that we should do that. Uh, and, of course, God also has a will not just for us as, as individuals and not just for us as a church, as a community, but also within our own families, right? Let me give you some verses. Ephesians 5, 22. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. 
Ephesians 5.23, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Ephesians 6.1, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. These things are God's will for your life. Now, we don't have time to get into all the implications of that. That's a whole sermon all by itself, okay, or maybe a couple. Uh, we'll get into that, okay? Marriage is coming, all right? But there is a definite desired will and plan that God has for how things ought to work in the home. And to the extent that we follow his direction, our family life works better than if we decide to come up with our own plan. Why? Because God is the designer and creator of it. And he gives us these commands for our good and for our benefit and blessing. All right. Now, here's the one where people get really confused. And this is where people really want to know. Okay, fine, fine, fine. God's decreed will, God's uh, desired will. What about God's directive will? How do I know what I'm supposed to do between this decision and that decision? How do I know? Uh, God's directional will or his directive will is turn right, turn left kind of stuff. And God does give people uh, direction at times in the Scripture. Now, it's not universal, and it's not as widespread as we would think. And so I think we, we need to remember that while God sometimes did give people very specific direction, uh, like, as an example, he told Ananias, Ananias, there's going to be a man named Paul who's going to come see you, and you're, this is what you're to do when he gets there. He te- he, Paul has a vision of a man from Macedonia who tells him, come over here. Now, that, is, that happened, but it's not normal. Even in the lives of the people that it happened to, it's not that common. It doesn't happen every day in every one of their decisions. Um, God does provide us with his leading for our lives, but some conditions have to be met for us to, to experience it and see it, okay? Uh, first one, we must not be seeking God's will for things about which he has already spoken clearly, okay? Let me clarify what I mean by that, okay? Uh, I, had a, I have a good friend who told me that uh, she rented a house to some people that she knew, and they never paid her the rent, like ever, because they had paid, prayed about it and decided that it just wasn't God's will for them to do that. Okay? You don't pray and ask God what he thinks about something he has already said. You know, uh, you don't say, you don't pray, God, would it be, would it be within your plan for me to date this non-Christian? Because I know that dating eventually, in some cases, leads to marriage. So should I, should I date this non-Christian or not? No, God has already said, don't do that. Don't be involved in that kind of a relationship with someone who is not of the same faith, right? God, would it be your will for me to steal from my company? No, he's already said that, right? You're not going to hear the Lord's voice tell you to do something contrary to what he's already revealed to you, right? Um, Second condition, you must have a willingness to obey. 
Uh, if we ask God to lead us in making a decision about something big or small, we need to ask with the attitude that we are actually going to do what he tells us. Right? God, should I do this or do that? I'm only willing to do this. <laughs> do you really think God is going to provide leading and direction in that circumstance? No, he's not. Because you've already made up your mind. You're just hoping that he will certify what you've already decided. You have to have a willingness to obey. This is James uh, chapter 1, verses 5 to 6. If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives personally, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. But when he asks, he needs to believe and not doubt. Because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. You can't be going, well, I think you might want me to do this, but I don't really believe that if I go that direction that you will do that and lead me. Uh, you need to actually ask God for wisdom and then believe he'll, that he'll give it to you and take you in the direction you're supposed to go. All right, um, another condition. Seeking God's will can't be an excuse for laziness. Occasionally, I meet people... A lot of them, unfortunately, are single. A lot of them are in their 20s, and they're seeking God's will. You know, and they're seeking God's will for decades, it seems, some of them. Well, I just really don't know what I should do with my life. I, I'm just seeking God's will here for the next step. Uh, there's a Christian author that I read a lot of books from, a guy named Kevin DeYoung. He says this, Our search for the will of God has become an accomplice in the postponement of growing up. A convenient out for the young or old sometimes. Christian floating through life without direction or purpose. Too many of us have passed off our instability, inconsistency, and endless self-exploration as looking for God's will, as if not making up our minds and meandering through life were marks of spiritual sensitivity. It's not. Okay? Uh, every now and then you... Um, you meet somebody who is basically lazy and immature, who is using finding God's will as a spiritual-sounding reason for not doing anything and not taking any responsibility. In the church, sometimes you find them, uh, you know, they're, not, they're the person who isn't serving anywhere. And you ask them, would you be willing to serve in X and so way? And they say, well, I really need to pray about it and find God's will on this. And amazingly, every time that you ask, God never says, yes, you should go do that. Okay, every time he always lets them get away with not doing anything, even though he has said, use your spiritual gift to serve one another. Now, God bless our church, because we don't have anybody like this, okay? But there are people like this, and you best not become one of them if you actually want to have God's leading in your life. Uh, we have to remember that sometimes God does give very specific leading through His Holy Spirit. Now, that's not a guarantee, even in the scriptures, like I say, Paul didn't get specific direction very often. And he gets the most specific direction of anybody in the scriptures. 
But sometimes God does give you very specific direction. And he can lead through your circumstances. He can lead through your finances. He can lead through just this feeling that you have in your heart as you're seeking him that I need to do this and not to do this is to be disobedient to God. I have had that experience. I'll bet many of you have had that experience of I need to do this, and if I don't do it, I'm being disobedient. But it's not a, it doesn't happen all the time, and we shouldn't expect it to happen all the time. But sometimes when God may, wants us to make a very particular choice, he will make it very clear to us that's the choice he wants us to make. Uh, but we also have to recognize on the flip side of that, and I'm trying to be a one-armed theologian as much as possible, so I don't get into too much on the one hand on the other hand, all right? Um, but here's the other side of that, that sometimes God's direction won't be as clear as we would like. And by that, I mean that God gives us wide latitude and freedom in how we make our choices. Let me pick just one example that will um, maybe shock you in how nonspecific it is, okay? First uh, Corinthians 7, let me summarize Paul's teaching on whether or not you should get married, okay? First Corinthians 7, Paul says, if you want to get married, get married. It's not sinful. Do it. Enjoy it. Be blessed in it. If you want to stay single, it's also a good option because then you can serve God without any of the encumbrances of family, and all that that means. And then he says this. Now, here's the deal. If you want to get married, you should marry who you want, but in the Lord. So, in other words, the person has to be a believer. The assumption of the Scriptures there is that the person needs to be of the opposite sex. They also left unstated the fact that the person can't already be married Okay, uh, there, you know, there's a few other categories in there that, that, that Paul doesn't fill in because those are kind of assumed by the rest of the Scriptures. But marry who you want. Well, God, should I marry Betty or Susan? Well, which one do you like? That's the one you should marry. Should I marry Mark or Bob if I'm a girl? Well, which one are you in love with? Which one is in love with you? That should be the one. Okay? It's amazing. This is a decision that is, has life-altering impact. It is the second most important decision you can make after whether or not you're going to follow Jesus. And yet, God's opinion on it is, who are you in love with? Are they a Christian? Yeah, are they opposite sex? Yeah. Are they, are they otherwise disqualified from marrying you? No. Well, then marry that one. We have this enormous freedom on an area of our life which has incredible significance. God is not as clear as he could be, okay? Do I believe it was God's will that I marry Karen? Yes. If I had decided to stay single, would that have been God's will? Yes. Why? Because he leaves me the option. Okay? 
If I hadn't married Karen, which, by the way, being married to her is one of the biggest blessings God has ever given me. But if I hadn't married her and later decided to marry someone else, would that have been God's will? Yes. God is not as specific about some things as we sometimes think we would like. He gives us freedom to choose on big, important areas within very small parameters, okay? Um, We also need to remember that God is good, and he will not punish us for making a, quote, wrong choice. Um, When it's a right or a left decision. God, should I be a pastor, or should I go to the mission field? Which do you want to do? God, should I go into accounting, Or should I go into engineering? Which do you want to do? God, should I marry this person or stay single? Which do you want to do? God is not like some sort of cosmic video game player up there playing whack-a-mole with us. Okay, well, if you had married Betty instead of Susan, you'd have been happy. But since you married Susan, you're going to be condemned to a life of misery forever. No. God doesn't operate that way. He is good, and he loves us. And where he gives freedom on a right and a left, he, is, he blesses either choice. Okay? Um, so, bottom line, how do I find God's will for my life? First of all, this contains enormous amounts of information about God's will. And God's will for a whole lot of our life, like 95% of it, is covered in here. And, the, and, and he gives us very specific information that if we conduct our lives this way, we will be in accordance with his will. And then there's about 5% of it in which we don't get very specific direction about things like who, who I should marry. How much should I give? What you have decided in your heart to give? Who should I marry? Who do you like who is a believer? Who are you willing to commit your life to? How many kids should I have? How many do you want? How many can you have physically? Okay. What church should I go to? This one. It's God's will. Okay. Um, <laughs> all right. Um, all right. Um, it is. It's God's will. All right. I have that on good authority. Okay. Um, God's will is revealed to me in the scriptures, first of all. Okay. Um, but I also need to recognize that God gives freedom. within the scriptures and within parameters, he also gives freedom. Uh, And then the last thing is, if you have specific direction from the Spirit, obey it. Let me give you just an example. Karen and I really sought the Lord about four years ago about where we were in ministry. I was in a church uh, out in Iowa in Cedar Rapids, where I had a fantastic ministry, really enjoyed it. God was blessing. Everything was just 
overflowing. Uh, we were making decent money. We had a lot of equity in our house. You know, all these things are, are kind of flicking our way. But I had this just irritation in my soul that I needed to go somewhere else. And I really clearly felt God saying to me, you need to go somewhere where there are not 50 good churches to go be part of, as there are in Cedar Rapids. There are, um, for example, at the time I was there, there were eight guys who graduated from my seminary who were pastoring in that city. And we, we would have like an alumni gathering, <laughs> you know, and they were all in different churches, and all of these churches are going great and doing fantastic things and having lots of fun. Uh, but I really felt like God was saying to me, you need to go somewhere where there isn't that same kind of thing. You need to go to a place that has more bars than churches. Hello, this is where we went, okay? Why? Because it was God's will. We felt like not only that God led us out of the church we were in, but that God led us here to this specific place. We, if we, had, we felt like very specific direction from the Spirit of God where we were supposed to go. And so we obeyed, okay? We got confirmation it was God's will from all of you who said, yes, please come, okay? Uh, if you have specific, you know, seek the Lord in his word. Pray. Use your freedom if you have freedom on a particular decision. And then if you've got specific direction, follow it, okay? Let's pray, and then we'll celebrate communion.